Well, good morning, Hillcrest. It's exciting to be with you virtually here on Easter 2021. I know that the majority of you are joining us online and there are a number who are live in-house. And uh, I just wanna say happy Easter to everyone. Can we try something really quick? He is risen. Oh, if you didn't know the response, it goes like this. He is risen and you say he is risen indeed. Let's try it one more time. He is risen. There, you got it, perfect. All right, it's an exciting time, a very interesting time we're living in and excited to be with you this morning. Um, I've got two things I wanna just encourage you with today and that's just, um, I wanna encourage uh, interaction online or engagement online. So I've got a bit of an idea here I'd love to give out a couple gift cards. And uh, the first one would be for the person who is joining us online from the farthest away location. So maybe you're uh, 10 kilometers out of Moose Jaw and you just wanna chime in and say, hey, joining you from Tuxford or something like that. Or maybe uh, you're from farther and farther and farther away. But I'd be interested to know who's joining us from the farthest distance to Moose Jaw for our morning service today. So would you just jump online and say, hey, I'm joining you from wherever. And if someone already has beat you for the farthest by the time you chime in, still chime in. We just want to know who's joining us. And we're really glad that you are with us. And the one who's the farthest away will send you a gift card uh, if you provide your your details. We'll, we'll identify you and then you can send us uh, your details on how we can mail that out to you. Uh, the second one is um, I'm going to do a little bit of a contest in a moment or two to help you uh, just pay pay attention and zone in and uh, the first person to get the answer right in that contest will also send a gift card. So those are a couple things uh, just extra I wanted to do this morning with you. Um, my wife uh, has often talked to me about how uh, she finds renovation shows inspiring to her inspiring to her. That's pretty amazing. Uh, I don't know if you like renovation shows or not. In fact, I encourage you in the chat or on the online, if you want to say what your favorite renovation show is, jump on with that. Or if you want to protest renovation shows and you say, I just think they're terrible, then, you know, keep it classy, but you feel free to represent the other side as well. But my wife says they're inspiring to her. And I always thought, oh, I want my preaching to be inspired. And so maybe I should just, you know, figure out from her, you know, some of those things that, that inspire her. So I, I just asked her the other night, I said, tell me about some of the different shows, uh, that renovation shows that you've watched. Like, you know, what's, what's the gist of them? And I sort of thought this was going to be a short conversation, but I didn't realize how many shows there really are. And, uh, it ended up being quite a long chat. And it also evidently required, uh, mandatory watching, of a couple episodes of one of her favorite shows. So in the end, I learned way more about Waco, Texas than I cared to know, but uh, I guess I got educated. And what I want to do at the beginning here is I want to use some of that education that I got from her the other night about this wonderful world of home renovations. Um, in just to begin, I just wrote something that uh, uses some of that. And here's the, here's the contest. I'm going to basically be just telling you truths about God, but in the context, I'm going to use the names of renovation shows just for fun. And if you can count the correct number of actual names of renovation shows that I use, and you're the first person to go on Facebook or perhaps YouTube, but probably Facebook, uh, 
if you go on there and just punch in the actual number of renovation shows that I mentioned in this little little reading that I wrote up, then uh, the first one will we'll send you a gift card. Okay, here goes. I dedicate this to my wife. So let me ask you, is there some areas of your life that really need some work? Are you a bit of a fixer-upper? The truth is we all are. We don't have it all together. We all have issues, but I have some advice I'd like to give you. Number one, don't hide. You may be tempted to hide behind your upbringing or your, or your background, but bragging about your good bones or your hometown is a waste of time. Your pedigree can't save you. God isn't into last names as much as we think he is. It's not enough that he did something special in your parents' or your grandparents' life. He needs to do a fresh work in you today. And don't even try to hide from God. He already knows everything in your closet and still loves you. Hiding from him is impossible anyhow. Even if you isolate yourself on the island of Brian, he will still be there. And don't just cover it up with a religious coat of paint or cover it over with some spiritual shiplap. Jesus said that would be like whitewashing a tomb or only cleaning the outside of your coffee cup. Let Jesus work on the inside, even if it means taking parts of your life right down to the studs and then rebuilding. And don't DIY your spiritual growth. Don't do it yourself. And the reason is you can't. We're often foolish enough to declare ourselves masters of our own flip. But ask yourself, have your efforts to remodel your life been a flip or flop? If you tried, if you tried renovating your life on your own, maybe now you're willing to say to him, this is what I did and it didn't work. Can you save my reno? You know, you're going to need the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and the people of God to shape this important project. And that's the way that God has set it up for it to work. Now, I get why some people might be nervous about this. A lot of people wonder, if God designs my life, am I going to love it or am I going to list it? And so instead of living a full expanse of life under God's leadership, they settle for a shrunken life, just like so many others in this tiny house nation, hemmed in by despair, uncertainty, insecurity, and fear. And you don't need Mary Kondo to tell you these things don't spark joy. There's only one who can do what needs to be done. Others may be willing to quickly paint over the problems in one or two rooms of your life, but only he is willing to commit to commit to and be able to do the extreme home makeover that your life deserves. So, don't call on any other name but Jesus. Don't listen to the noise of the Boise boys. And trusting in the property brothers will only double your troubles. The house hunters are, an interna are internationally known for not being able to help you in this area. Because we've all sinned and we all live under condemnation that our sin brings and Mike Holmes can't make it right. Only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And his plan called for trading spaces with you on the cross. He willingly paid for your sins so that you could be forgiven and made right with God. All right, you can put your tally on Facebook, but I want to keep going. Why call on Jesus? Why would we call on Jesus? It's because of who he is and what he can do. 
I want to take you to the book of Revelation. And uh, in Revelation 1, 17 to 18, John, who was like of all the disciples, he was the one who seemed like he was the closest. You know, Peter, James, and John, there was three that sort of were the closest. But it seems like John was that one who maybe was the closest of them all. He has an encounter with Jesus that blows him away. Now, he spent lots of time with Jesus when he came in as a man and, and he interacted with him. He saw him uh, a, a, like a teaser trailer of Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. And of course, he was there when Jesus uh, hung on the cross and he was given the task to take care of um, uh, his mother and all those things. So, so John was familiar with Jesus, but this time was different. And uh, it says in Revelation 1, 17, 18, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So again, this is John. He's having a vision of Jesus. And when he, and when this is happening, he falls down like a dead man at Jesus' feet. Now, this is not strange. Um, when you see throughout the Bible, people encountering God or encountering an angel, um, there's always sort of a similar pattern. There's fear almost every time. Fear. You know, some people say, man, I wish God would speak to me. People in the Bible would not have said that. They say, no, 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 no. I, 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 I'm afraid to be in the presence of God. And there's a really good reason for that. Um, because God is holy. It means he's, he's sinless and perfect and, and perfectly good and powerful and great. And, uh, and we're not, we're sinful. And, uh, and so when you think of encountering God, it wasn't something that people were really looking forward to because they thought I'm, my sin's going to be exposed before a holy God. And that, what could come after that? Only judgment. It, it was scary to them. There's lots of, re, like lots of evidence of this in the Old Testament, especially it's like when Moses get the 10 commandments on the, um, uh, Mount Sinai, people weren't even allowed to touch the mountain. And they even begged Moses, don't let him speak to us. Because just you speak to him, just you encounter him. We're we're scared. Uh, I think of whenever they moved the Ark of the Covenant, they would have these big long poles to to slide between the brackets or whatever, so they could carry it, and they would never touch it. And I remember that one time they, it was being transported on a cart, and it was just like, "Don't touch the Ark! Don't touch the Ark! You don't mess with this." I mean, only the high priest could go into the holy of holies in the tabernacle in the temple. It was like people didn't want that holy presence of God to come right to bear on their sinful lives because they just knew I'm probably dead if that happens because I know I'm so out of alignment with God. And so you have people falling on their face saying, oh, I'm, an un I'm unworthy. I'm, I'm, I'm sinful. I even come from a sinful people. Like all things would blurt out of their mouths and, 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 and they were scared. That was the general one. You know, uh, a couple decades ago, I think we had a show called Touched by an Angel. I if there was TV around in TV in Bible times, they would have probably said terrified by an angel. That would have been the show they would have watched. And they only would have watched it, you know, when they wanted to terrify themselves because they were always scared. They were always scared to be uh, in the presence of a holy God. Well, John is no different. Even though he knows Jesus, he sees him revealed uh, uh, in, in his glory in this moment. And, and he's not different. He's not like, ah, it's just Jesus, you know. He falls down as though dead. And, and 
the the line that every angel uses and that God uses whenever he he has this kind of encounter with man is is used. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And then he goes on to tell who he is. I'm the first and the last. Jesus was always there at the beginning or forever and and forever on the other end as well. I was dead and now look I am alive forever and ever. I was dead. We're talking about what Easter talks about. Jesus death, crucifixion, burial and resurrection. I was dead and am alive forever. And here's the part I really want to key in on. Key, sorry. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now, when I was a kid, the pastor in my church would read this verse. It was out of the King James Version, and it says, death and hell. I quite like that. It's just pretty straightforward. I hold the keys of death and hell. Um, So, When Jesus says, I have the keys of Hades and death or or death and hell, he's saying, I didn't go to all this trouble just so you could have a vacation in the springtime or, or, or I didn't, I didn't just go to Hades. I didn't just go uh, to hell for my, for himself. He went on a mission, not just to conquer death over his own life, but to snatch the keys because keys are really valuable. Keys unlock things. And he holds the keys of everything in your life where you would say, you know, this is this is dying. This is death, what I'm experiencing. Or, or this is hell. This is terrible. He holds the keys and he can unlock those things in your life. For everything uh, where it feels like hell or death, uh, you can know that he has the authority in those areas and he has the key to unlock those things in your life. So when you talk about Easter, we talk about Jesus and his resurrection. But probably the best way to celebrate Easter is not just to stop there where we talk about Jesus' resurrection. That's powerful. That's significant. That's meaningful. But to take it to the next step and experience a resurrection yourself. There's a cascading effect. The same power that worked in Christ, uh, that, that God used to raise Christ from the dead, is working. Is meant to work in us. And it's meant to uh, do a, a, a transformation, to bring a resurrection in our lives as well. I was just reflecting a little bit this year about some of the amazing people that passed away. And I I hesitate to mention any of them because I, for sure, I'm probably going to miss somebody. If I do, please forgive me for that. I just really jotted these down from memory. So please forgive me if I forget someone. But these are people who we would say are dead. But as Christians, we know they're not dead. They're more alive than they ever were before. And so I think about people like Dave Matson and Willis Warner and Gary Lewis and Ruby Dilsner and John Griff and Bart Ojima. This is a pretty incredible graduation class in this last year. These people who have uh, passed from this life to life that's really life. Uh, in fact, uh, they're more alive today than they ever were before. I want to flip that around and think of I know that there are people who they're living you know, breathing, you can see them in your travels, you know, around Moose Jaw or wherever you're, you're living. But you know what? There's a lot of people that are living, but there's a death inside of them. They're dead inside. So something is either dying or has died. Um, I'm talking about, there's maybe a current area where there's death, that is dead or is dying. It's, it's your current issues. It's the most challenging thing that you're facing right now. And you, you might even already, you might be, be identifying that. You'll say, 
yeah, I I sense that in myself. There's some le- there's something that's dead or dying in my life. It's not working out r- right now, and there's a death. Let me give you a few examples of that. You could have death in an emotional area of your life. Stuff is dying or dead in you emotionally. Maybe it's just you're stressed out. Uh, you're breathing. You're alive physically, but your emotions are not okay. Uh, you may or may not have a disease, but there's a sense of dis ease in you. You're not at ease inside of yourself and in your emotions. There's turmoil inside. And maybe you're one of the ones who doesn't sleep well at night and you have some kind of pressure on you. Maybe you're lonely or maybe there's a financial pressure in your life. And you're talking to yourself and you're saying, I don't know if it's going to be okay. That's an emo- a death in an emotional area of your life. Let me give you two more. Death in a relational area. You lost a relationship. Maybe it was death, maybe it's divorce, maybe it's a friendship that went sour, but you're grieving that. It's worse than physical pain to you. There's no, you, maybe you're, you're working to try to restore a relationship or, 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 or try to fix it, but, but it doesn't seem to be working. And the reality with relationships is there's no guarantee that the other person will ever respond. Uh, long before modern counselors ever said, you can only fix yourself, Jesus' earliest followers tried to live by a statement out of Romans 12, 18. Let me just read it to you. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And some of you might be saying, I'm not finding it possible to live at peace with everyone. I mean, sometimes it's all about someone else is, is, is reckoning it on the other side. And we have those experiences sometimes in relationships. But there's times where we might recognize that the part of we are playing is not bringing life and potential for peace to the table. And so God wants to work in you on your side of the relationship. So that that statement could be true of you. Wouldn't that be amazing if you could say, hey, as far as it depends on me, I am living at peace with everyone. That would be incredible to be able to say that. But for some of you, you just know that that's not your reality right now. You know that things there, there's something dying relationally, and, and you might not know how to fix that. And um, that's where Jesus wants to come into the picture. The last one is spiritual death. Last week, I was describing in my sermon, I described physical death and spiritual death this way. I said, physical death is a separation from your spirit from your body. And that one's pretty standard. But the other one was spiritual death. I said, that's a, another separation. It's a separation of your spirit from God spiritual death. And I thought, that was pretty good. Pretty smart, Steve. You know, great. But then I was reading a children's book this week, and I found a definition I sort of like better. I'm not sure if I'm ready to switch, but I liked it. It was telling the story of Adam and Eve and how they just quit trusting God. They quit looking to God and they went their own way. is really tragedy. And um, and then the, the children's book said they experienced spiritual death and then defined it. And you know how they defined it? It said this, their relationship with God died. Their relationship with God died. They're experiencing that separation. Did something happen to you along the way? Maybe you're one of those ones who, who today you feel some level of separation from God. Has going to church uh, just become uh, about going through the motions? Or as I should say, maybe watching church. Has it become going through the motions, just sort of a tradition? But there's there's not life in it for you because... Uh, it could be maybe you've had a bad experience in church or maybe a bad experience with other Christians. And so that's, that's, that's 
uh, a factor in it, but there's something dead or dying there. And this is the most critical of all the ones I've mentioned because it's your spirit that lasts forever. It's your spirit that lasts forever. Let me read you Romans 8, 11. It says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. I love that. I love that. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he'll give life to your mortal body. Whatever energy or power that it took to get Jesus out of the grave is available to live in you today. And he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to whatever in your life is dead or is dying. Now, I'm going to read it again, but in the message uh, translation or paraphrase, whichever you cl classify it as, but I love how it says, um, Romans 8, 11, it stands to reason, doesn't it? That if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves in your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. I love that phrase. You're delivered from that dead life. So many people are living a dead life. And Jesus wants to deliver us from it. That's good news. That's incredibly good news. The best way to celebrate Easter is to have your own resurrection. Of course, you aren't the one who can make it happen. But Jesus can make it happen in your life. It's when you plug into the power that raised Christ from the dead and experience it for yourself. John 14, 19 is also awesome in this. It says, this is Jesus talking to his disciples saying, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. You will also live. This is the night before Jesus goes to the cross. He's washed his disciples' feet. He shared with them the bread and the wine and said, remember, remember me, do this in remembrance of me. And then he says this, he says, because I live, you also will live. Because he lives, we don't have to be dying anymore. And I, I want to step into how, how does this happen? What are the things that cause this to happen in a person's life? Well, the first thing I think you need to know is that there's a search going on. There's a search going on in your life. And you might say, how did you know? I am searching for something. I, or I'm searching for God. And I'm actually not even talking about that search. That might be true. You might be searching for God or you might be searching for something to fill a, a void in your life. But did you know that God is searching for you? Did you know that God is searching for you? In John 15, 16, it, it, it starts like this. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I choose you. Can you imagine being one of Jesus' disciples when he said this to them? He said, hey, you didn't choose me. I chose you. They'd be like, whoa, no, Jesus, that's not true. We chose to follow you. We chose. We chose. You didn't. And you know what? Theologians throughout the centuries have just debated this back and forth. What part does God do? What part do I do? Like when a person comes to follow Jesus and give their life to him, what, what part is God's part? What part is my part? And I think I don't know the answer, to be honest. I've looked into it a little bit, but there's lots I haven't ironed out. But I kind of think it's a little bit about how um, my wife and I talk about our early days as a couple. So we've been married for 22 years. And um, we'll talk back to those early days. And uh, I remember basically telling my wife one night, I just said, 
I was such a smooth operator back then. I was such a smooth operator when I convinced you to marry me. Isn't that awesome? Great thing to say to my wife. Well, she just, boom, quick as a whip. She just responded to me. And this is what she said. She said, I'm more of a smooth operator because I convinced you to convince me without you knowing it. Hmm. So who chose who? So who chose who? By the way, is your house full of revisionist history like this? I, I don't know. By the time we get to our golden years, my wife and I won't agree on any of the stories about our lives. Who will know what's really true? But anyhow, it's a bit of both. It's like we choose God and he chooses us. But make no bones about it. He is on a search for us. He's on a search for us. Now, it's not a search like he can't find us or he doesn't know where we are. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how he is initiating with us. He's initiating with us. And this is a surprising thing because what happened is that humankind rejected God. Now, when people reject us in our lives, we always are like, hey, who's got time for this? Don't forget you. Go your way. Well, fine, if you're going to be like that. That's, that'd be my natural reaction. If I were God, thank goodness I'm not, but if I were God and I set things up for human beings to flourish and do well and have a relationship with me and all they just need to do is trust me and then they disobeyed and they went their own way, they just stopped trusting me, I'd be like, forget you. I'm not chasing you. I'm not searching for you. I'm not, I'm not going to try to initiate in, in bringing you back into relationship with me. I'd be like, I'm done. I'm washing my hands. But thankfully, God's not like that. The first thing God does after humans reject him is he goes searching for them. In the garden, he says, Adam, where are you? He's looking for Adam and Eve in the garden. That's the first thing that he does. It reminds me of a story I heard about a pastor from a long time ago. You know, it used to be really common for pastors to just show up at your house unannounced. Did you know that? That was a common thing. In fact, it was an expectation that your pastor would just sort of drop in and there was always a coffee pot on or whatever. Uh, that's not really a thing anymore so much because people would be really alarmed if I just showed up unannounced at their house. Uh, I think they'd be like, Steve, what are you doing here? But anyhow, this is the story I heard about a pastor and he would just go by and visit people in his church and, and just sort of ch check in on them. And he went to this one older lady's house and he knocked on the door and... Uh, no response. So he waited for a while and he's pretty sure she was home. So he, you know, saw her car in the driveway. So he thought, okay, I'll just knock louder. You know, maybe she can't hear me. So he knocks really loud. And then he waits for a good long time and there's no response. So then he pulls out a business card and he writes on the card. He writes uh, these verses or this verse, Revelation 3.20, which says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's just a great verse about how God wants relationship with us. It's awesome. So he writes this on his business card, and he just sort of sticks it in the door jam, and he goes away. Well, Sunday morning comes, and, and uh, that lady's in church, and uh, she puts the business card back in, in the offering plate. And so after the service is over, the pastor sees this. He grabs his business card, and he flips it over and sees that she's wrote a verse on it. And the verse is, is Genesis 3.10, and he's thinking, Genesis 3.10, I haven't memorized that. I don't know what that says. And so he goes and looks it up in his Bible, and this is what it says. It says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Do you like that? Is anyone laughing at that corny joke? I just can't tell. But I think it's funny. I think it's fun. Some of you are so afraid of God. 
You're so afraid of God because you view God as one who's just waiting to condemn you. So you run and hide, just like Adam and Eve did. But what does he do when he finds you? He's on this all-out search, but what does he do when he actually finds you? Why is he searching for you? So he can tell you to get your act together? No. He wants to rescue you. He wants to rescue you. You don't have to get your act together. You don't have to get your act together to get to God. You have to get to God, though, to get your act together. God rescues people because he values them. And all of us need rescuing. You don't need to be more religious, but you need to come out of darkness into the light. Now, I don't want to, I want to make sure I'm not just doing this too metaphorically here today. There's a, there's a sense in which God wants to uh, take the areas in your life that are like hell and death to you and bring a transformation there. But I do want to be very clear that he also wants to literally save you from death and hell. And John 3.16 is, is uh, like everybody's favorite verse. It's like the most popular verse in the Bible. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I love going through all the positives in that verse with people, because you can just put your name in the blank. For God so loved, and just put your name there, right? For me, Steve. For God so loved Steve. That's awesome. That's awesome to know that. And that he gave Steve his only son. That is great. Put your name in the blank. It's really encouraging. Um, that whoever, not whoever, but that if Steve believes in him, ah, oh, that's great. He will not perish, but have, but Steve will have everlasting life. You can do that. You can do that with John 3, 16, because it's true. It's true that God loves you like that, and he wants that for you. And almost all of it is just really positive, but there's that one line in there, should not perish. And you go, whoa, whoa, okay, lots of good stuff. God's intentions towards me are good, but what's that perish part? And it talk, it's talking about that reality. Remember I talked about God being a holy God, and when he showed up or an angel showed up, everyone was afraid? They were afraid because they realized a holy, sinless, powerful God and a frail, a broken, sinful, selfish human being, they can't be together because sin is a separator. Sin is a separator. And either sin is going to separate you from God or God, in his mercy, will separate you from sin. And that's what he did on the cross. That's what he did on the cross. He knew that we couldn't separate ourselves from our sin. We couldn't, we couldn't do it. And, and, we were, and we wouldn't be right with God unless that sin uh, was paid for. And so he took our place. He took our place by going to the cross. And so um, when we say he has the keys to hell and death, we're not just talking about the hell and death experience in your life. We're also talking about the literal stuff. We're talking about the fact that he can pay, he is the way to unlock the way for you to be right with him. And that's the, when we're talking about God rescuing you, that's what he's rescuing you from. He's rescuing you from the consequences of our own sin. Eternal separation from God. He has the keys to rescue you from that. And he did the work that needed to be done on the cross. And it's up to us to trust in what he did for us and receive that like a gift that we didn't deserve. We don't. Something we didn't earn. We, we didn't. And receive it as a gift from him. Receive it in gratitude that he's taken away our guilt and shame. He's paid the penalty for our sin. And he wants us to be a part of his forever family with him. It's incredible. It's incredible. So he wants to rescue you. But I want to say there's more. He wants to restore you. 
This, this takes a while. It's a process. You can be rescued in a moment when you give your life to God, when you say, I'm yours. Please forgive me. Take away my sin. That can be in a moment. But I want to tell you, the restoration process takes a while. It's because he wants to take all the junk in our lives and little by little, layer by layer, begin to work on it. You know, when people criticize me, I can get to, as defensive as the next guy. I'm like, oh, you know, you got it wrong. I, I'm better than that and stuff like that. But you know what? If I was really honest when people criticize me, I should probably swing the other way. I should probably say, man, you don't know the half of it. I'm more broken than your description. I mean, you got some of it right, but there's way more under the surface here that isn't right. There's way more things that God is working on in my life. And um, you just don't know the half. It's worse than you imagine. And that's true. I'm not making that kind of stuff up. That's the reality. Um, sometimes we let people put us up on a pedestal, and I think that's not a very healthy thing because then we don't get the help we need, right? We we got to be that person. We got to be strong. We got to be have it all together. We got to have all the answers. I tell you, if people are putting you up on a pedestal, I just kick it out because then you don't fall so far. You don't break so many bones when you come crashing down. So, we don't have it all together. Nobody at Hillcrest has it all together, right? We we all have issues. I got issues. You got issues. Oh, that was good. You got issues. That's a big finger there. <laughs> if you don't think you have an issue, that's your issue, actually. Um, lots of people don't experience the restoration of God in their lives because they want to act like they're all okay, like everything's good, like there's no death, there's no hell, there's no... Uh, uh, results of sin happening in our lives. And so they don't experience restoration that he wants to bring to their lives. Here at Hillcrest, we have a thing we call the Set Free Retreat. We just had one in March. You remember when March was so open and everyone could do stuff and then suddenly, whoo, that, that ended pretty quick, didn't it? But before it ended, we, we had a Set Free Retreat. We, we usually do two a year in, in the fall, in November, and usually in March in, in the spring. And we did a, a Set Free Retreat and we had, we had a, a number of people come out and it wasn't real big, but it was powerful. God was really moving in some people's lives. It was really amazing. What do we do in a set-free retreat? Let me just tell you a little bit about it. We, we deal with habits, hang-ups, hurts in our lives. We deal with attitudes, distorted thinking, emotional wounds that we might have from experiences. We deal with lust, anger, greed, every sin you can imagine, and more. We deal with all sorts of things. Do you want to know who's gone the most to set a set-free retreat? Do you know people come multiple times? Do you want me to tell you who's gone the most to set-free retreats? Do you want to know who that wicked and depraved person is? Just, just between you and me, just this gossip. You want to know that? Okay, I'll tell you. It's me. Well, maybe not me. I don't know if I still have the belt. I've gone at least five times to a set-free retreat as a participant. You say, whoa, Steve, you got that much garbage in your life? I say, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and God's willing to work with all of it. But you know what? I'm starting to get uh, other people are catching up to me, right? And you know who they are? They're all the leaders of the church. So you say, oh man, the leaders of your church are that messed up? They're just a train wreck? You know what? If you want to, God to do a building work in your life, you got to set the right foundation. I mean, you if you were going to set a build a skyscraper, you wouldn't build it on the foundation of a chicken coop. But a lot of people are trying to build skyscraper lives on chicken coop foundations. And so what God wants to do is he wants to go deep with you first. He wants to do a restoring work. He wants to unfold corners of your heart that you didn't even know were dark. And then he wants to bring light there. He wants to bring change there and transformation. He wants to restore you. 
That's really good news. I, I was just reading some of the comments from our last set free retreat just a couple weeks, well, a few weeks ago now. Uh, this I don't even know who wrote these. They're just anonymous to me, but I just thought they were great. Great feedback. Someone wrote, I didn't expect to be so moved in the inner healing session. And they'd, they'd uh, um, God was sort of setting them up for this, I think. That's what they wrote in their thing. But I didn't expect, expect to be so moved in the inner healing session. I, I now feel God was leading me to an awareness to prepare me for this session. I was very, very moved. Awesome. Another, another quote from our set free. I realized there were things in my life that the enemy was using as a spiritual stronghold. I had never before realized I was being held back by these destructive attitudes. Again, God's moving into people's lives and he's restoring them. He's taking things that aren't right and he's, he's writing them. It's awesome. I'd like to invite you, like if you're just checking out Hillcrest Church or you're just joining us for today, you can join us for the next few weeks. We're, we're on a bit of a journey through this year. We're doing sort of a trilogy of teaching. In the fall, we did we kicked off this series called Believe. And in it, we're talking about what are the main things that Christians believe. You can go back to our fall series and check those things out. If you say, what do Christians believe? I'd like to know. We did 10 weeks on what Christians believe. Then in the winter, we did 10 weeks on what Christians do. What do we practice? What are sort of our habits and the things that, that uh, God has called us to do? And then this last 10 weeks, which is starting next week, is about what God wants Christians to become. What God has designed for all of us to become. And so this could be really interesting you for you. What, what does God want for you? What good stuff does he want to bring alive in you? or to get all HGTV on you again. If you let God renovate your life, what will it look like? Well, if you want to join us the next 10 weeks, that's what we're going for, right? So if you, there's all, I'll give you a hint. There's lots of stuff like love, joy, peace, patience that you might say, man, I'm sort of lacking that. That's not so much in my life. Here's the secret. It's not by oomph and trying harder. It's by allowing God to do a work in you. He wants to change some of those undergirding beliefs. He wants to change some of those, those, those practices that, that lead to these kind of outcomes. But he wants to change us. He wants to do a, a restoring work in our lives. Let me read you 1 Peter 1.18. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. See, God wants to do one more thing. He wants to, He's on a search for you. He wants to rescue you. He wants to restore you. And he will redeem you. What does it mean to be redeemed? Well, Jesus, this verse is talking about, in 1 Peter, is talking about how he shed his blood. It wasn't, you weren't redeemed with, with money. You weren't redeemed with silver or gold. You were redeemed with something much more precious than that. Jesus' own blood. And he's redeeming you from an empty way of life. Now, I don't know if you ever watch a movie and you go, hey, that's a redemption story. I'm always noticing it. It's sort of like there's an arc in the story where you find someone and they have no meaning, no purpose, or very little, and then suddenly something happens, some great cause or something they need to do, or and, th and then you see that suddenly they do have meaning, they do have purpose. That's redemption. And we see it all the time in movies. But God wants to do it in your life. He wants to bring redemption. He wants to redeem your life. He'll turn your life that you thought was over and he'll redeem it. My wife has a very interesting set of earrings. And uh, when I first saw them, I thought, hey, those are pretty attractive. Of course, she's attractive, so she makes it all look good, right? But these earrings she had, she bought from a friend here in the church, uh, her friend Jessica. And they're uh, black, and I can't quite recall, I, I guess I'm going to lose points for this, but they're sort of 
maybe half diamond shape, but maybe more like a teardrop. I don't know. Anyhow, I, I can't describe it. I'm not very good at that part. But anyhow, but I noticed when she wore them and I thought, those look really good. And I said, what? I can't quite figure out what that, that material is. What, what are those earrings made of? What is that, that black shape of the earring made of? And she told me the secret. She said, well, these were made um, in, in some country, maybe a third world country where people don't have a lot of money. And they, they craft these earrings and they send them, uh, you know, to where they can sell them for more money um, in Canada or other countries. And so I said, what's it made of? It's made out of the inner tube of a bicycle. I was like, what? It's made of the inner tube of a bicycle. Who would think of redeeming that? Who would think of taking that and giving it a whole new purpose to take something that's just sort of plain Jane and actually always hidden, right? Bicycle tubes are inside the bike tire and they're just, you think of them as dirty rubber, but no, on my wife, it just looked beautiful. And I was like, oh, that's what God does in our lives. He takes our lives that are, they're not great. They're not like they should be. And he begins to, make something beautiful out of those lives. He redeems our lives. Sometimes you look at our lives and you say, I don't think God can do anything with this, but God's in the redeeming process. So God's doing a work of search and rescue. He's doing a work of restoration and freedom, or <laughs> restoration and redeeming you. <laughs> I just threw in freedom for bonus. That, that's for free. Uh, but let me read you Psalm 40, verse 2. It says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. People think sometimes if they're in a pit in life, that God just wants to come by and shame them for where they're at. That he wants to dump shame on them in the pit. But no, he's actually the one who reaches into the pit and pulls them out. That's what, what God does in our lives. It's amazing. Ephesians 1, 19 to 20, I'm going to read this in the Living Bible. It says, I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe in him. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavens. Here's the good news of Easter. Uh, I just want to give it to you as, as straight as I can. The power that God used to raise Christ from the dead, the power that we celebrate that we see in Christ's resurrection. That's the power that God wants to unleash in your life. He holds, he has the authority. He holds the key to hell and death. There's nothing he can't turn around. There's nothing he can't rescue. There's no one he can't rescue. There's, there's no one he can't uh, restore. There's no one he can't redeem. He can do all those things in our lives. But we have to, we have to be willing. We have to say, yes, I want you to do those things in my life. So I'm going to end our time together by leading you in a prayer. It's just a prayer of commitment. You could do this. You could pray this prayer every day of your life. It would be just fine. But for some of you, it's going to mean more today because you're going to invite Jesus to do the rescuing work, do the restoring work, do the redeeming work, do that, that transformation in your life. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me live a life that honors you by the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. God bless you this Easter. And may 
you experience all that God has for you. Not a shrunken, dead life, but a life that's truly life, fueled by the Spirit of God and the power of God. God bless you. Happy Easter. I just want to take a minute and say to anybody who is joining us uh, for the first time uh, this week, uh, maybe someone invited you uh, to come, maybe to check out the live stream or something like that. You had a friend who said, hey, you need to join us for Easter this weekend. If this is you, if you're new here, we just want to encourage you to reach out and get connected with kind of what's going on here at Hillcrest uh, as much as uh, we've been able to uh, hear about this morning about the gospel, we would love for you to hear more about Christianity. And kind of the best way we think to do that is to just track with us. So Stephen already invited you to join us for the next several weeks as we continue the series that we're in. We really do encourage you to do that. Um, but maybe there's something else that you can do. You can reach out to us on uh, any of our uh, social sites, send us a message on Facebook or something like that, and just say, hey, I joined you this Easter, and uh, we would love to be in uh, contact with you and just let you know a little bit about what's going on here at Hillcrest and kind of help you as you explore uh, what Christianity is all about. Just wanted to say, be bold and take that uh, next step. Join us next week. Uh, reach out to us on our social sites and uh, certainly have a conversation if you were invited by a friend with them about what you thought uh, it was like. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Also just want to say, uh, for those of you who are just uh, on your way or leaving this building, again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, remember to keep those social distancing uh, protocols up as you go. And um, want to just wish you all a happy Easter. There is opportunity for prayer if anyone would like it here at the front as well. Have a great week. We'll see you.